Bearcast presented by Bird Culchin Ford. Bird Culchin Ford has been in Waco since 1936. Ford is the number one selling truck in Texas, 43 years running. The Bearcast is also presented by WellMed Medical Management and USMD Health System Dallas. Here's Craig Smoke and Grayson Grundhafer. And welcome into another edition of the Bearcast on Sikkim365.com, 365 Sports. Here live in studio, 101 Elm and MLK. We do appreciate you. Busy week going on uh, here uh, in Waco with Pro Day and spring practices starting up and uh, just a lot of good stuff to get into. So we're going to dabble in a little bit of everything from basketball to football, uh, football recruiting, spring practices getting started up, all that good stuff. Garrett Ross behind the scenes. I'm Craig Smoke and uh, joined as always by Grayson Grunhafer. And Grayson, spring balls arrived. Uh, basketball season now into the final four for both the men and the women. Um, but uh, no Baylor, obviously, and no Big 12 either. Uh, the Big 12 knocked out of the uh, March Madness tournaments on both sides of the brackets. But just, I guess, first things first, how are we doing this week? Yeah, I mean, it's been an entertaining week, I guess, with spring football and March Madness, the weirdest March Madness I- I've ever seen. Just the teams that are in the Final Four, um, pretty shocking outside of UConn. I-, I mean, just not a lot of history with any of those programs, so that'll be kind of fun to watch, and it has been fun. The women's basketball side, obviously, a little more chalk Um this year as it usually is. Um, but yeah, I think overall a good week pro day was yesterday. So I know, um, you got to go out there and see some things, but, uh, not a lot to report on. It wasn't like a really meaty pro day. Uh, no, I mean, there was not, uh, like the big star that you were looking for as far as the, um, I guess, uh, first round pick type of guy, you know, like the, uh, I guess the, it was just certainly wasn't an RG3 affair. That wasn't uh, the type of deal, but it also wasn't much like, uh, I guess, last year with JT Woods and Jalen Petrie and all those guys. This one, uh, a little bit more limited. You got Siaki Ika, obviously, who's your big dog. That's probably your best bet at a draft pick, or not probably, but is. And then you've got Connor Galvin as well. Had some old familiar faces, Charlie Brewer, RJ Sneed in town for that. Uh, and a lot of other guys who are just trying to uh, to make their mark enough to get a call from the NFL. But, yeah, not a super eventful thing. Uh, it was at Midway High School because of the fact that the indoor facility is getting worked on, which is something I had a chance to see, um, you know, up close and personal for the first time in a while. Last week and practices opened up, just the amount of construction going on at the indoor and just that whole area right now, which yeah. – um, you know, Pro Day, not a lot to, to talk about, really. Not a lot of storylines coming out of that. It's Ika, it's Galvin, and then it's, let's see who really, you know, shines or gets an opportunity after that. But it was cool to see, uh, uh, you know, just some um, 
old faces have the opportunity to come back because I don't know that it necessarily works that way for every single program. You know, that right. you maintain those relationships. But we had RJ Snead on the show, and he said that he's cool with Dave Aranda. Dave Aranda was cool giving the shot to, to come back, and, and I expected it to, to remain that way. But, um, but yeah, that was one of the big events. But I, I feel like spring football is kind of the, the headliner it, here. It yep. is. I do want to mention one thing, though, in accordance sure. with Pro Day because it was kind of big news that came out this week, Big 12-wise. Um Baylor's not going to have another pro day on their campus because over the next few years, the pro day will be at the star in Frisco for all the big 12 teams. I I felt like that was something very noteworthy this week that, you know, the big 12 continuing to try to build its brand and continue to try to be innovative and different. And so, uh, yeah, it won't be at midway next year. It's going to be at the star, which will be really cool with all the other big 12 teams having their NFL draft prospects there as well. So pretty, pretty fascinating, honestly. Yeah. And I was told that they actually, we're going to hold the Baylor Pro Day at the star this year. Um, but I heard that it didn't too, work yeah. out because I guess Jerry Jones ended up scheduling some event mm-hmm. and um, that changed their plans to where they then had to go over to Midway's facilities, which are really nice. But obviously the stars, the Dallas Cowboys setting. Uh, but I think that's okay because I don't know how much you would have drawn there with Eakin, Galvin, and the rest of that crew. It, you know, all due respect, I just don't think that the star was a necessary setting for for that group. You know, if it would have been last year's, last year's, then you could have explained that a lot easier and said like, "Hey, there's like six guys that might get drafted." But with this group, I felt like that was probably too large. So that that worked out, I think, for the best for everybody involved. But yeah, it was cool that you know. Uh, you had your, your final sort of traditional pro day. Uh, you had some old faces in town, which has now become a common theme, as we mentioned. And so that's now on the books. And up next is the NFL draft in April, and that will be uh, the the next big uh, you know event for these guys who are trying to go pro. So look forward to seeing uh, that, and we'll talk more about that as that draws closer. By the way, I just noticed on my hat here, the logo fell off. Yeah. <laughs> I just noticed that. You see that? I was wondering what that was. I wasn't yeah. sure. No, I guess it fell off like in transit or something. So, yeah. Uh, if you're wondering, like, what's the hat deal? Um, I just now noticed that. So, that's probably in my car somewhere or something. But, yeah, the patch fell off. So, this isn't as grimy of a hat as it may appear. Uh but yeah, I just I just noticed that looking at the TV screen. It's so. Just a green trucker hat now. Yeah, it's just a green trucker hat. Uh, <laughs> I have to clean it up a little bit because I think it's got like some glue substance. So <laughs> this wouldn't have been a big deal in the non YouTube days, but uh, now I guess with all these TV cameras, that's something I noticed. For you just listening at home, you're like, "What in the world is he talking about?" Uh, just logo fell off my hat. So just just noticed that. Anyways, now that the distractions are out of the way, uh, all right, pro day, cool, is what it is. We'll see what happens. Um, not like again, a lot to report here, but spring practices getting underway um i guess you know before we get into spring practice your thoughts on the because we're not going to talk are we going to talk yeah we will talk basketball we'll circle back around to it yeah. we got a men's and women's note so we'll circle back around to that let's go to spring practice uh last week got to hear from dave aranda i uh, got to hear from sean bell got to hear from sawyer robertson for the first time got to hear from um gosh blake shapin got to hear from tj franklin drake dabney and I think that about wraps it up. Maybe I'm missing, like, one person. But um, any of your thoughts on what you saw or heard? I thought Aranda was really interesting to listen to because he, for the first time, went on record in admitting that things weren't right last year. Uh, didn't go, like, super deep into it, but clearly made it uh, known that he made some mistakes, that he was... I don't know if the word's lenient, as in just let guys do whatever, but let a few too many things go. 
and that had a negative effect on the team and didn't outright say who, um, but I think you can probably sort of come up in your head with some ideas on who some of those guys might have been, guys who are no longer on the team, you know, things like that. Um, not to paint everybody who's no longer in the team with that brush, but, you know, just adding two and two together. Uh, so he got into that, and I thought he really went deep and like, you know, not everybody's always super into the philosophical Dave Aranda stuff, but I felt like for the first time talking in a while, and especially coming off the season they had, it was pretty eye-opening, and it really made me feel a lot better about the direction of the program. Not that I thought he had lost control of it, but just hearing him – just go like, yeah, things weren't cool, things were weird, and we had to make some changes, and we did, and now we feel great about it, and, you know, so on and so forth. I don't know if that made a big difference to you, but I felt like almost a sense of relief uh, kind of surrounding the program that that was able to sort of, um, you know, move on from last year and then move on in a positive direction with this brand-new team that's, you know, not going to hopefully make the same mistakes as last season. Right. I think, you know, one thing about Dave Aranda that is loud and clear is that he doesn't just speak about these things. He actually takes action. And, I mean, we've seen that over the course of, uh, you know, his entire time at Baylor. When something's not right, he is not afraid at all, you know, with changing it. Even if it was super quick like it was with Fedora and Wickline or, you know, in this situation, guys who have been there the entire time with Ron Roberts. And so um, making changes there, but also the transfer portal. Because I also think he basically has mentioned that on record multiple times about the simple fact that they didn't feel like they needed to use the transfer portal last year. They felt good with the roster they had. Um but the problem is, is you can't always rely on development. And I, I think everyone across the country is seeing that. you you got to go out and find guys who are really, really good football players already instead of just projecting your own team to turn into really good football players. So I think he's noticed that. I think, again, with the coaching changes, bringing in Matthew Pallage, A.J. Stewart, uh, Christian Robinson, I, I think they're building a really good staff that, he trusts, but that's also a little more innovative, a, a little more creative with their defensive schemes and a little more creative um, with potentially with the running back room as well, even though I know Juice um, wasn't a guy they necessarily wanted to lose. So, yeah, I liked everything I heard from Dave. I, I think that, again, he's very honest. And he's been very open with kind of his thoughts, and then he takes action to kind of, you know, coincide with those words. So I've been very impressed with him. I was impressed by it. It did make me feel better um, about this team going forward in their direction, but I, I also didn't have a ton of doubts that they were going to come in this offseason and really try to correct things, and also without those preseason expectations that they had a year ago, I do think it takes a lot of the pressure off the players specifically. Yeah, I mean, it definitely sounded like guys were riding the coattails of that Big 12 championship um, team. You know, you think that you drill it into guys' heads that they're not going to make that same mistake that teams that win do, and you get all fat and happy, but that's exactly what happened in some cases is, you know, guys who weren't even really big parts of that felt or acted like they were big parts of that, um, had guys feeling like they were just going to pick the ball up and run with it from that title and not really put in on the work, I guess, that, that needed to go into that. Because that title was like four years in the making when you think about the headliners of that team and Ebner and Petrie and Bernard and all those guys, what they went through. They went through a bunch of rocky times to get to where they were. And it wasn't, uh, you know, a a cupcake walk and that's kind of I guess how some guys approached it last year so yeah I didn't have any doubts that he would address things and clearly he got to it quickly but to hear him just talk so openly about 
it and and be so honest about the fact that things weren't right last year. It just makes you feel good and lets you know that, yeah, things are being addressed. He also uh, got into the quarterback battle. Um, so did Sean Bell. So did Sawyer Robertson. He was impressive. Blake Shapin, I thought, was um, more impressive than ever in terms of, of speaking to the media. Just had kind of a different air about him. And I've written about it, and I think that part of that's like he's got to. I mean, he's got to have a kick in the butt because now here's Sawyer Robertson to potentially take his job. Like, nothing's guaranteed. I think Blake's also older, and I think he realizes after, you know, probably thinking a lot about last year, like where things went wrong, like there's – there's some improvement to be made. So I think that's clicked with him. I think Robertson's just got a great mentality. Uh, Bell, you know, had plenty of positive things to say as well as, as Aranda did uh, on, on Robertson and on Shapin. So your thoughts on just kind of where we are with the quarterback battle and what you heard last week that uh, it, from any of those guys that made you think uh, about, you know, sort of where we are with this thing. Yeah, so I think there's this kind of mindset that Baylor fans are having right now, and I got asked about it in my chat this week, but you know, specifically talking about how much Sora Robertson was mentioned from Dave Randa and from Sean Bell, and I would just caution people, this was their first time talking, and there were a lot of questions specifically about Sora Robertson, and he's the new guy, and everyone's really excited about him, so that's why he was talked about so much. Now, a couple angles of this. Obviously, he was a huge priority for the Baylor staff. They won a battle against a team that played for a national championship last year in TCU. Um, and he was the guy they wanted. They you know, decided to not take other guys because Sora Robertson was the best fit for their program. Um, and he's the guy who was a huge get, and they love everything about him. They think he fits the offense really well, fits the team really well. Now, that does not mean that they don't feel the same way about Blake Shapin. And so Shapin still does a lot of things that they really like. There's still a lot of confidence in Blake Shapin as well, which I think was very evident in everything that was said uh, during that media time. He, he still is a guy who's learning how to be a leader, learning how to be you know a guy who could eventually be a captain for this team and be a really, really good quarterback um, for this Baylor program going forward. And there's confidence in that. So I think the most important thing about it to me was that there's confidence in both these guys that they can go out there, get the job done. Both have a lot of talent, and they're very excited about both of them going forward. And open competition. Here we go once again. Yeah, I mean, they definitely did gush on, on Sawyer Robertson a bit. Um, you know, being there and just hearing them, you know, talk about the way he's kind of seamlessly fit in and um, the leadership. You see the size as far as his height goes. Um, and just, you know, kind of, I guess, the way he's carried himself has been impressive to them in a very short amount of time. You got to think about it. They've only been around him for like a month and a half, two months at this point. I mean, it's been very short. So he's made a big impact uh, already just in how he showed up ready to work. But, yeah, I mean, they've already seen Shapin now for a couple years, so they're more probably critical of him because they've done the whole, like, lovey-dovey thing, and now it's like, hey, dude, it's time to kick it into gear here. Like, these are the things we've been telling you you need to work on, so this is what we need you to work on. Like, your personality a little bit, your leadership skills, your communication, your attitude, like, those are things that are, you know, works in progress, and I think they just kind of reiterated that. And, yeah, it's more of a blank canvas with Robertson at this point, but I definitely think that if you want to get excited about Robertson, there's plenty of room to do that and plenty of room to believe that he could win this job. And if you want to feel that way about Shapin, then there's plenty of room to do that and and feel that way as well. But, uh, yeah, it's a straight-up competition. I think that's the clearest takeaway that you could have is there's nobody guaranteed anything, and whoever performs the best is going to win this job at some point, whether – you know, next month, which is doubtful, 
uh, or you know, sometime in, in August, which is probably more on the nose. Yeah, and I, I mean, this week was one of those weird weeks as far as <clears throat> questions go um, in my chats this week because they talked about how it's clear that I'm sure the coaching staff feels like they made the wrong decision last year with Blake Shapin. Mm. And I just want to caution people against that mindset because the simple fact of the matter is last year's team was not the 2021 team. And so last year's team, there was no relying on the defense to win you games. They were not good enough on the defense side of the ball for that to happen. I know Blake Shapin had some costly turnovers, but if you go back and look at 2021, so did Gary Bohannon. And so yeah. I think that there's, I think that there was a lot more pressure on Shapin last year to go win them games as opposed to Gary just need to be a game manager. So I went back, looked through the games. I mean, there really weren't many games last year that you could point to and say, hey, if uh, Gary played in that game, they would have won it. Or if you, know, you would have changed this or that. Um, at the end of the day, I, I just I want to caution people against that because I do think Shapin, while he didn't have a great year, I don't think anyone would say he was great last year. He had inopportune turnovers, but there was a lot of pressure on him to go score points, and that was something that we hadn't seen the year pre the year prior. Um, and I just I, I really think that we have to keep that mindset and understand that if this team has an elite defense this year, it would help take so much pressure off of Shapen or Robertson um, from making them have to be, you know, a 4,500-yard passer and really making them be more of a game manager with the ceiling to be, you know, like a Zach Wilson or something along those lines. Yeah, I think, uh, you know, there's just like this movement that's just anti-Shapen in so many ways. There is, yeah. Um, it's weird how this keeps happening with this program, this fan base, where there's these little battles we pick. Like, it was anti-Charlie Brewer there for forever, and now it's like anti-Shapen. Like, no matter what, he just can't Still be the guy. anti-Charlie Brewer. Yeah, I, yeah, I don't want to get back into that because I kind of ranted on it a little bit last <laughs> yeah, week. I know. It's just weird, but... Um, yeah, that's that's all very strange, and I already kind of see it developing with shape. And, and um, I understand last year wasn't uh, everybody's cup of tea, but, yeah, he was far from the only issue that they were facing. I mean, uh, that season was a mess for a variety of different reasons, from the coaching staff clearly was not even on the same page to uh, the defense to special teams in some cases to offense. Like, rising tides lift all boats and each boat had a hole in it last year and it was just a matter of which one sinks first any given Saturday basically and uh, I don't know how you place all the blame on one person or the majority of it on one person um, yeah I, I think that's kind of silly and, and really unfair but as we've seen that's just history repeating itself for some people so uh, that is what it is but yeah I think Blake Shapin's got a very good chance to win this starting quarterback job but I just don't think we're going to hear much about it um, you know this spring because hopefully not yeah I mean yeah. unless he's just so good that they have to make a decision or Sawyer Robertson's just so good they have to make a decision but yeah I don't think that that's uh, necessarily going to happen. So, um, yeah, I thought Blake did a great job. thought Sawyer was impressive. Uh, Randa was really open. Sean Bell was great. Probably the only time we'll talk to him until next year around this time. Um, you know, so long as he's still on staff at that point. And uh, who else? Uh, you know, like TJ Franklin, did you get anything else from, from any of the other media that you heard, really? No, I think those were some of the main takeaways, I, I think, from media portion of things you know going to practice game to see some things you know I have a few notes on that but in general yeah I think those were the main takeaways for me I, I just think there's this shifting of culture shifting of you know just reshaping 
things from last year because I just think everyone's ready to just move on, mm-hmm. and that's what spring football really is a time for. Yeah, it definitely is a changing of the seasons, and yeah, I believe everybody is fully on board with moving away from last year entirely and, and getting to this new team and, and this new staff and all that stuff. So with that in mind, uh, here they are for a second week in a row back on the practice fields. They had a practice earlier today, and uh, you were out there, as you mentioned, so um, just your impressions, I guess. I was out there for a couple of them last week and, you know, enjoyed it. Uh, a lot of construction going on uh, as they redo the indoor, uh, and that's all going to look very different and interesting when it's finally finished here. They're indoor and the uh, football ops building, parking, all the different things that are going on right now. Uh, it's quite the, the scene, but uh, your your thoughts on what you saw, I guess, earlier today. Right. I'll, I'll have more notes on the premium side of things, so be sure to check that out later today. But I think let's start with the running back position because I don't feel like that's gotten a whole lot of the headlines. I think people are forgetting that they added a transfer in Dominic Richardson from uh, Oklahoma State. They have Richard Reese back. Quaylen Jones is back. Um But I think this room is very intriguing for a few reasons. So I I think Dominic Richardson gives them something very unique. He's a very good pass blocker, but he also is the most physical runner on this team right now. And uh, really the second most physical runner is probably their true freshman in Bryson Washington. So it's very interesting to watch um, how they've kind of put this group together. But it's a lot of thick physical frames that are exceptional at hitting the hole and that's really a a key thing in this wide zone offense now the one thing they are missing is they don't really have a back that's going to take it 90 yards for a touchdown now do you need that often no is that a necessity in this offense absolutely not you need guys that get first downs more so than breaking 90 yard runs but uh, in general uh, they have very similar you know body types outside of Richard Reese who who's you know, poised to have a great sophomore season after a really strong true freshman year. So, yeah, I, I'm excited by this group. I, I think they have a lot of different guys who have different skill sets and can really fit into this offense really well. And A.J. Stewart was out there working with them. First time I've gotten to see him, you know, up close and watching him uh, coach. And he's demanding a lot of this group. Uh, you can tell there's a sense of this needs to be perfect uh, in everything that he does. So that was very intriguing to me as well. But in general, uh, fun group to watch there. Um, you know, I saw the quarterback, so I guess I'll mention that really quick. Um, a long way to go for Sora Robertson as far as the wide zone offense goes. And moving and making throws on the run while remaining inside the confines of the offense is something that I think he's going to have to work on. And I saw it a little bit today, you know, a couple rollouts, a couple play action type throws where he's having to, you know, move his body one way, but make a throw the other way. Um, He struggled a little bit. He airmailed a couple, had to throw a few in the ground where Shapin looked very comfortable with it. Now, is that to be expected? Absolutely. You know, Shapin should be the far more polished passer uh, in this offense. Um, Now, when they're just standing there making throws, Sawyer looks great. But you have to do certain things in this offense for it to run properly. So I'm curious how he develops. That was something he actually did mention uh, during his time, you know, during the media time, how it is an adjustment, this new offense, and it's something that you didn't really have to do at Mississippi State. So I think that is something to watch over the next, you know, few weeks heading into the spring game. Has he developed uh, in that regard? Um, Because Shapin looked more comfortable today um, making those type of throws. 
And that's to be expected, been playing in this system for two years uh, mm-hmm. versus zero years uh, for, for sure. Robertson. So, yeah, that's something that he talked about uh, last week. Didn't seem like it would be that big of a deal, but there's definitely some adjustments uh, involved. Um, but, um, yeah, that's that's just going to be something to, to monitor and see how quickly that can, that can progress. But uh, also – Watched a little bit of A.J. Stewart last week. And, yeah, that, that running back group's kind of flying under the radar. You forget there's a Richard Reese back there who played so much last year. And, yeah, Dominic Richardson, who should be a, a great veteran addition. And uh, whoever emerges from kind of the rest of those young guys, I think that's a, a key storyline. Because, you know, there's also Quaylen Jones. Can't forget about him. Um, but, you know, last year they, they went from full tank to empty pretty quickly in that running back room when guys started getting dinged up. And I'm curious, uh, you know, Obviously, they needed some more bodies. Even returning Jones and Reese, they went and got Richardson. But who amongst the rest of that group is going to kind of emerge as we, we move along? You obviously don't necessarily need like somebody to be the man right now. Yeah. But there's kind of some guys that have been festering there for a little while now that I'm sort of curious of kind of when they start to poke their head out a little bit, if that makes sense. Yeah, it does. You know, this is just one of those situations where when you look at it, it seems pretty clear what's going to happen. It's Richard Reese, it's Dominic Richardson, and it's Quaylen Jones is what Mm -hmm. it feels like to me, at least heading into uh, the spring game. The only thing that I think could change that is if a talent really emerges. And specifically looking at Bryson Washington, I I think for that, um, I'd like it to be Jordan Jenkins. It's just, it's been a few years now. And so you're just wondering, is this, what's going to happen here? Is he going to figure it out? Um, this offseason, he might. And I think one path for him that is something you have to look at is the fact that it took Quaylen Jones, you know, three years before he really emerged and, and figured out this offense. And so now you look at Jordan Jenkins, maybe it happens for him as well. Uh, also, don't forget Dawson Pendergrass will be here uh, in the summer as well. So they'll add another body there. But I, I think Bryson Washington is probably the most intriguing guy who I could see breaking into that top three group if one of the uh, established guys maybe doesn't play great or he just you know flashes. Yeah, and it's not necessary for a guy to be the man right now because they have three veterans. Uh, but, yeah, just kind of curious of that logjam that's sort of being created of, you know, you're uh, you're going to lose Jones and Richardson. I know next year after this year doesn't matter as much right now. They're focused on this next upcoming season. But, yeah, what happens with Jordan Jenkins? Like, when does he sort of – has another year. Oh, yeah, he does, doesn't he? Yeah, Yeah. okay. Well, yeah, but what does happen to guys like Jordan Jenkins, for example? I'm curious to see how the spring uh, plays out for for them. But, um, but yeah, that's a pretty solid running back room on paper. So, I definitely have uh, strengthened that a bit from from last season when you had a true freshman out there having to – you know, run crazily every single week, 20 carries it felt like they were trying to give to Richard Reese just to get something going offensively and establish some type of a running game. So I'm sure he's as relieved as anybody to have a a little bit of help around him, and that'll help his body as well. Um, All right, uh, anything else that uh, you want to add from from what you were uh, taking in this uh, morning? Yeah, you know, I haven't really talked much about the tight end group, but I think this is a position that the coaching staff probably feels really, really happy about with uh I just there's depth there there's proven talent there there's uh older guys there's younger guys there's walk-ons it's just this unique blend of guys who are all you know 
look like they're around 6'4", 240-something pounds at least. Um, and so it's just a really fascinating group. You got Drake Dabney, who I think everyone is anticipating having a big year this year. But I think because we talk so much about Drake Dabney, we kind of forget the fact that Jake Roberts transferred from North Texas and <clears throat> is also slated to be a really good receiving tight end for this group. So I think those two guys uh, stand out in particular. They're older, uh, Dabney a senior, Roberts a junior. Then you have Kelsey Johnson, who played a lot as a true freshman. So you have your three guys that you feel really good about, but then you have these younger guys who... You know, maybe will emerge. Hawkins, Polly, Matthew Klopfenstein have both looked really good. Uh, Klopfenstein just looks like a guy who, you know, once he puts the weight on and once he figures out uh, the blocking scheme, he could be a really, really, really good tight end for this uh, <clears throat> Baylor coaching staff. I know Jeff Grimes and company are really excited about him and Polly. And then you also have a couple walk ons who are fairly proven with Gavin Yates and Mark Patton, a good blockers who also have a little bit of upside in the receiving game as well. So very confident in this group. I think there's some steps that they could take to be, you know, potentially the best group on this team, uh, which is pretty shocking when you take into account the fact that they lost Baylor's possibly Baylor's best tight end ever in Ben Sims, yet they still could be as good or better next year. Yeah, and uh, Ben Sims getting a little emotional talking about his time at Baylor uh, at the Pro Day and uh, just kind of, I think, real reality hitting that uh, that was his last time working out in green and gold, you know, as an official capacity, uh, even though it was at Midway's facility. Uh, but, yeah, I think Dabney hearing him talk last week about how he was 100% healthy was obviously a huge thing. That was another big takeaway from week one was just hearing that. Um, didn't know kind of where he would be after the broken fibula but uh, he's 100% go now, so that's that's definitely a weapon that you look forward to hopefully being used quite a bit next year because, um, yeah, he's he's got the size, he's got the athleticism and all those things, and Ben Sims is a is a hole to have to, to fill because he was not necessarily a guy who got you a bunch of catches in any given game, but he gets you a very important touchdown on occasion or an important first down catch that – not everybody was uh, as reliable enough to, to grab for you. So, yeah, that's a loss, but that tight end room has filled out quite nicely, and, and that's definitely a fun group to, to pay attention to. So, um, yeah, I'm, I'm right there with you. And it is – you do go like, oh, yeah, they do have the – Robert's kid, or they do yeah. have Richardson, or they, there's a lot of transfers to, to keep track of and to right. remember that they brought in. It was a very active offseason in addition to the coaching staff changes uh, as well. Um, all right, anything else? Um, no, I think that's good for this week. We'll talk, I and mean, we're going to talk about it every single week, but this, yeah. I think that's a good start for this week. Yeah, I mean, this was about uh, really just kicking things off. The quarterback battle was the main headline and just getting everybody's input that's involved with that. Um, they didn't put R.J. Martinez out there. I don't think anybody was under the illusion that he was going to be like competing head-to-head with Shapin and Robertson necessarily. He but, looks good, though. Yeah, he does. He yeah. does look good. I mean, if he you know, was a little bit taller, he's probably you know starting somewhere like he was at Northern Arizona. Um, yeah. But, yeah, I think that he's a really good third quarterback to have in the room. He's got some good zip on his throws, and I think that was a really solid pickup. Uh, and they've had to dip into the third and fourth quarterbacks at times. So, yeah, that's a, that's a – good one to have there he could be a scholarship guy i think coming you know coming up in the future because if you i think the goal would be to have four scholarship quarterbacks and if you think shapen and robertson are going to be the guys going forward you have rj martinez potentially as a third and then whoever you get in the 2024 class uh, you know four scholarship quarterbacks seems about right i think for the roster so he's just one to keep an eye on as potentially one who could earn it yeah i think that's your max he 
most teams probably have three on scholarship, uh, but yeah, there's teams with four if you can if you can swing it that way. So yeah, that's that's entirely possible for him. But was impressed. Uh, it's just that they only put Robertson and Shapen out there, but definitely noticed Martinez uh, during workouts. Um, let's see what else. Yeah, just kind of adapting to all that. The changes on campus, just with all the construction. What were your thoughts on that? Just seeing the indoor carved up and the scaffolding and the gates all locked up and just everything that goes with what they're trying to do over there right now. Well, I now. got to enjoy it from my walk from the Farrell Center oh, uh, over, yeah. <laughs> over there. Parking's not fun. Parking's really tough right now. But, um, yeah, I mean, it, it looks crazy unique right now because it's completely carved up. They're expanding it. It's going to look way different. It's going to look great, too. I mean, this was a necessity uh, for the Baylor football program in general. Um, so as these things start to finish and get completed, it, it's going to look really great. And, uh, hopefully they get the parking situation figured out because right now it's a it's a little troubling. Yeah, it is, but they got the big event out of the way with Pro Day, even though that wasn't over on campus, but that's just one thing they didn't have to worry about. Mm-hmm. So now it's just spring ball and then get that wrapped up and get to heavy work in the summertime when most people aren't on campus and you know finish that up hopefully in a a good amount of time but it'll be great when it's done Uh, it'll make a massive difference over there in that uh, part of campus Um, and certainly football a bit overdue for sort of having their their facilities expanded and built upon in some cases started from a new like with the op center um, because they've been sort of semi-sharing sort of that area now for for a little while getting a little crowded so this is all out of necessity um but yeah if you're around campus you'll definitely notice all that along with the welcome center that's come along quite a bit uh non-football project but that one is uh impossible to miss if you're coming off of a 35 uh so uh fun to see all that getting underway got a couple media sessions this week uh, including what was it aj stewart today um we'll speak uh i believe today is it uh yeah, it might be. I'll, I'll have to look. I don't, we'll, we'll have coaches and players talking uh, again a couple of times this week. So have articles on that as well as some conversation to be had from whatever comes out of those media sessions as well. I know I glossed over Pro Day, but I thought I would at least go back and mention some of the names that were involved. It's just there's not a lot to like, this guy ran this and this guy weighed this. And, you know, it's just it's not a real talkable topic necessarily. Um, but you had Dylan Doyle. Uh, who did confirm that he was injured during All-Star Games. I don't know how many people read some of my kind of draft stuff, uh, I guess back in the early part of the offseason when the All-Star Games were going on, but had made mention that reportedly Dylan Doyle got hurt during one of the practices, and uh, sure enough, he confirmed that. So a tough break for him. Was it a torn MCL? Is that what uh, Smokey said? And PCL, uh, right? PCL, PCL yeah. yeah. So really tough situation there for him. Hopefully it doesn't affect him too terribly much um, but Jacob Gall Connor Galvin Byron Hansbard Gavin Holmes Apu Ika Mose Jeffrey Khalil Keith John Mayers Grant Miller Mark Milton Christian Morgan Chidi Obanaya Jackson Player Isaac Power Ben Sims Braden Utley so there was a, a big cast of guys and you know a couple of for sure draft picks beyond that a sprinkling of NFL tryouts and XFL invites and USFL and, and all of that. But I uh, wanted to at least run down those guys since that's their last official event. And that's a bunch of, you know, names. I don't know how much of an NFL future Gavin Holmes has, but he had a very interesting Baylor career. And he ran well at the pro day. Yeah. four three six. Yeah, right? had a very nice time. Yeah, yeah, absolutely had a really nice time. So that was notable for Gavin. I mean, Dylan Doyle, I don't know what his future holds as far as playing pro ball. Um, but had a great career at, at Baylor. Apuika 
had a massive impact. Uh, so, yeah, I just want to give a shout-out to uh, all of those guys who officially participated in Pro Day, not to mention the Charlie Brewers, RJ Sneeds as well, who are uh, coming back. So there's some football stuff for you as we kind of just dabble and get into the thick of, of springtime. Uh, meanwhile, uh, some recruiting. I know you had a couple of notes on, on that front as well, as uh, that also uh, continues on here during the spring period. Yeah, just uh, I guess a couple quick notes. I was here in Waco this weekend, got to talk to a couple of uh, the, I guess, priority Baylor targets, specifically Lindale offense lineman Casey Poe. Um, he's a guy, highly, highly rated, high four-star type prospect, you Now has an Alabama offer uh, that is committable, if that just kind of lets you know the kind of prospect he is. Um, but also a great culture guy and a great guy who I think fits exactly what this program is all about. Um, he came in here and just was gushing about Eric Mateos. Those two have built a great relationship. He was saying how he's been, he's known Eric Mateos since he was like 14. So he, he thought that was just, you know, kind of cool that they've had that connection for so long. Um, he's going to be an interesting one to watch. He's got visits coming up all over the place, A&M, Texas Tech, Alabama. Um, he's going to go around, take his time a little bit, and then figure out his official visit spots. But uh, after seeing him this weekend, I do think Baylor's in a pretty good spot to land an official visit with uh, Casey Poe. Um, couple other guys, I guess. Uh, DeSoto linebacker Brandon Booker uh, put up huge numbers this year at DeSoto. Great linebacker prospect and one who uh, also feel like a good fit with this Baylor program and a guy who could play uh, Mike or Will linebacker. I think he's more of a Mike um, type, uh, but a really good prospect and one who uh, I kind of see as potentially being you know, similar to a Nick Bolton, uh, who played at DeSoto, is now in the league with the Chiefs, obviously won a Super Bowl this year. Um, different body types, but this same ability to make plays. And that was the biggest thing on Nick Bolton. Didn't run great, didn't look like the greatest athlete, wasn't very tall, no one really recruited him. All he did was go to Missouri and be, you know, one of the best defense players in the SEC. I think Booker could have that same um, archetype just because of how productive he's been at DeSoto against some of the best competition in the entire country. Um, and he just continues to rack up big-time stats. I, I like what I see from him. Um, and then Ridgepoint wide receiver Ashton Bethel-Roman is another one. Um, four-star prospect, plays at Ridgepoint with Mason Dossett, who's also a big Baylor target as well. Um, very good wide receiver, a lot of length, last size, very fast. Um, and he finally got on Baylor's campus, and I think Baylor made a huge impact on him uh, through this visit. He got to know Dallas Baker a lot better, got to go to the meeting and figure out, you know, what's this offense going to look like? Are they going to throw more? Are they going to be more um, open than they were a year ago? And I, I think he heard all the answers he needed to hear. Um, from this weekend so he's an intriguing one again high level athlete and kind of fits that mold of what they want as an outside wide receiver um, so those were three guys three recruiting updates for this week we'll talk more throughout the spring but all three of those guys came by the studio and talked for a little while and uh, I got kind of a good read on where they're at good deal so uh, there's a little bit of recruiting um Magic dust to tide you over in the meantime. You can head on over to Sikkim365.com, become a premium member if you're not already, and get a bit more into uh, the weeds on all the recruiting notes and nuggets and all that good stuff, which definitely ramps up around this time of year and will continue on as more guys visit practices and things like that here over the next month. And then, obviously, they'll have visitors for the spring game and, and that whole deal. And then plenty of stuff over the summer as well. But, uh, yeah, good to know some of the names and kind of what's going on there. Uh, so that's where we are with football. Pro Day, a success, nearly 20 guys working out. 
Um, you had spring practices starting up, quarterback competition, everybody giving their two cents on that. We'll see what the storylines are that kind of emerge from this week, um, but also recruiting going on. So, yeah, a lot to uh, a lot to get into. Uh, meanwhile, quiet on the realignment front for whatever that's worth. Um, that, that speculation continues on, but nothing really uh, affecting Baylor at the moment to to dive into. Uh, it's just you know you continue to wonder uh, kind of if anything's imminent. Uh, but right now, all quiet. It appears on the Western front, uh, and meanwhile, there's. Uh, spring sports going on. Unfortunately, not great. It's softball or baseball. Both went up to Stillwater this week and got just taken to the woodshed. Yeah. Um, A&T stays dominant. Uh, track and field had some good wins as they they helped the two, right? Clyde Hart Classic. Uh, Equestrian won their final matchup and finished third in the uh, mm-hmm. the Big 12 tournament uh, up in Stillwater. Uh, they weren't a part of my slaughter in Stillwater recap, uh, <laughs> like baseball and softball were, who went a combined 0-6. Um, after both blew Friday night extra inning games and then got beat Saturday and Sunday both. But, yeah, Equestrian also lost in Stillwater, but not to that extent of the others on the Diamond. Did so, they lose to Oklahoma State also? Oh, man. Um, I know. I'm, I don't, I'm diving deep. I feel like they might have. I think they might have. I, yeah, I don't I, remember off the top of my head because they beat Fresno State at the end, but I don't remember – right this very second who their mm-hmm. first or second matchup was. But, yeah, I mean, they, they were also up in Stillwater getting beat, uh, maybe by <laughs> Oklahoma State. But either, regardless, if you were a Baylor team up in Stillwater, you weren't winning much. That's that's mm-hmm. what we learned from last week. Um, so, yeah, there's all that going on. And then basketball, of course, uh, was already over after last week. Um, and here we are, the Final Four. guess you just want to weigh in – on the uh, lack of Big 12 teams on, on either side. Uh, but for, you know, the men's side of things, Jerome Tang and K-State get knocked out. Uh, Texas gets knocked out, and they go and hire Rodney Terry officially. He actually had his press conference today, so if you're wondering about that. Um, still remains to be seen who Texas Tech's going to hire as their head coach, although could have even more Baylor flavor in the, the conference here pretty soon. Um, but man, it was, it was weird. I was rooting for Jerome Tang at the same time. I'm like, do we want him to go win a national title the very first year he leaves? Like, is that good for, for this part of the, uh, the territory? I don't know that it is, but you still like want the best for him, obviously. Right. Uh, but yeah, what did you think of K-State getting knocked out Texas, uh, and no big 12 teams in the final four is it's going to be FAU San Diego state on one side. And then Miami and UConn on the other side, the highest seed of four seed. UConn, two fives and a nine uh, mm-hmm. in the final four for the men this year. Yeah, I was pretty shocked that Kansas State lost to Florida Atlantic, to be honest. I, I just, I was, I really thought Kansas State was going to win that matchup. But, uh, I mean, Florida Atlantic is just, they're hot right now, and they're just playing with house money, as are all of these teams, to be honest with you. Like, San Diego State, another team that just, I mean, that game against Creighton was down to the wire. Crazy finish there. Um, Miami beat Texas fairly soundly final score-wise, but it was a pretty competitive game throughout. Um, and then UConn just blasted Gonzaga, which I, I think going into it, UConn's the favorite. I think they're a pretty heavy favorite to win this whole thing. Um but it is interesting that Florida Atlantic and San Diego State are playing against each other because one of those schools is going to be in the national championship game, which is the reason why March Madness is so great and the tournament is so wild and unpredictable. Uh, but it's also like, are these really two of the top four teams in the country? I mean, they've kind of proven it, but yeah. also it just it does make you wonder sometimes. 
Um, yeah, I mean, it's the way it, it played out. They won the games they had to win in front of them. And, you know, I don't know if it's the extra COVID year, uh, just the super veteran roster that some of those teams have, uh, the transfer portal, whatever you want to point to. Um, yeah, it's a very interesting Final Four uh, that that's been set up, and the TV ratings will be interesting to see. Not good. Uh, yeah, I mean, yeah. I saw somebody's like the TV ratings are going to suck, and I understand like that sentiment, and they they probably will versus if it had been Alabama versus Texas in the final. But I'm also wondering like why some Joe Schmo, and I'm I'm Joe Schmo too, but why would you care about the TV ratings if you're not? A TV network executive or the schools involved. I don't. I don't know why that should affect your enjoyment as a fan. That five million people aren't going to watch. Uh, if you're not into it, you're not into it. But I definitely don't care if anybody else is watching it. I just mm-hmm. want to see it myself. So I thought that was kind of a weird sentiment. But yeah, from a TV network executive standpoint, yeah, absolutely, you are like, what the heck? <laughs> this is what we got, really. Um, how much can the Miami market carry you uh, this postseason? Especially if it's Miami versus Florida Atlantic right. in the championship game. Yeah, um, I, so that's going to be interesting. I will say this, and it's given me something to think about, and, and it just seems like this happens every few years with UConn. They just somehow take advantage of, I'm not saying take advantage of a weak field, but it just seems like their team is either constructed around one guy or they just get hot in the tournament and they win the tournament, things like that. But at what point does this program start to be looked at as, you know, they're a blue blood. Like, if they won a championship this year, it'd be their fifth national championship since 1999. That's insane. Mm -hmm. That's every five years they're winning a national championship. I just think it's an interesting conversation that I've had with a few people. Um, It would also be their, this is their sixth, final four during that stretch as well so i mean they're as hot as anyone they have more now if they win this year they're gonna have more national championships than you know your dukes your kansases your you know schools like that and i I just i don't know it's just a question that i'm throwing out there because i I think if they win another one i think it's hard to not put them in that blue blood category and uh, that's already there for me pal they're already there for me i know but i don't think a lot of people would have them there Um, i really don't well i think that they're wrong but yeah no you're right i I haven't thought about that conversation much but i already kind of consider them in there you got them in there garrett already oh yeah i mean going back to like a mecca okafor in them they've they've always five yeah yeah, they've always been to me a blue blood program yeah 99 04 2011 2014 and then potentially 22 yeah five since 99 you're absolutely a blue blood right but how, how many so i think most people honestly talk about Villanova more than they talk about UConn crazy and, no and not to me they do and and the hit the the fact of the matter is I know Villanova's they're in that new blood which is kind of what you know they're trying to put you know Baylor in as well um but UConn man I, I don't there's not a lot of resumes in the last 25 years that match up to what they've done so I I do think they're a blue blood as well but I will say that I think if you go national wise they're probably the eighth program you bring up Maybe, maybe, seven. maybe, I mean, we could go like an hour on this, um, for sure. But yeah, yeah I, I don't know. Like, I, I think it just depends on what circle you're talking to. Cause I, I get UConn over Villanova, um, in the circles that I talk to. Um, but if you talk to a different circle of people, then yeah, maybe they got Villanova in there, but I definitely, I think my, my folks talk UConn more than Villanova as far as blue bloods go. But yeah, I mean, that's impressive Four and perhaps five national titles since 99. Uh, they definitely deserve a lot of love for that. Yeah, it, it's pretty nuts. It's just something I've thought about. Because yeah. most times they're like, you have five blue bloods. Duke, North Carolina, Kansas, Kentucky, Indiana, UCLA. 
Yeah, I mean, uh, compared to some of those schools, I mean, like you talking to UCLA and Kentucky. I mean, was the criteria you got to have eight national titles right. to even be in the conversation? Like, yeah, if we're doing it that way, then yeah, it's it's very exclusive. Yep. But shoot. what's Indiana done the last twenty five years? Uh, not what UConn has. So, yeah, uh, no, you're right. So that that's the team, and they may very well be the favorite uh, because of that history and just, you know, the uh, the way everybody's walking into this thing. They certainly have a great crack at winning a national title again. So, yeah, they're, they're definitely under that blue blood uh, status or consideration uh, for sure. Uh, on the women's side of things, a little bit of a bitter pill to swallow for Baylor fans because there's no Big 12 teams, but Kim Mulkey's in the Final Four. I mean, let's talk about the – the elephant in the room, uh, she's going to be taking on her and LSU, uh, one seed Virginia Tech. On the other side, you got South Carolina and Iowa in what should be a tremendous uh, game. You got Caitlin Clark, and then you got just Don Staley and her awesome roster over uh, in from Columbia on the other side. So, um, yeah, not, uh, not fun, but, you know, also not unexpected either. You kind of knew when everything unfolded the way that it did for the women's program that there was a very good chance that you'd see – her go off and have success, and she is, and we'll see how it plays out. Uh, they got mollywopped by South Carolina earlier this year in their one meeting. Maybe there's a rematch. Maybe there's not. Um, but either way, um, no Big 12 teams, but can't just gloss over and not mention, yeah, Mulkey's in the in the Final Four with LSU. Yep, anyone but LSU. <laughs> That's probably how a lot of people feel. Except um, for Garrett. Garrett yeah. does not feel that way. No, <laughs> but, uh, yeah, Garrett is an LSU fan, so that's why he would feel that yeah, way. Yeah. <laughs> but on the women's uh, – on the basketball note, uh, before we get this mailbag to close it out, Asia Blackwell announces that uh, she is officially coming back next year. So that's all signed, sealed, and delivered for Nikki Collin and company. And Garrett has mentioned over the last few weeks just kind of the way things were shaping up in terms of not only just the way the season wound down, but also what they were dealing with and, and also looking towards next year. Uh, so now that puzzle piece is dropped, and your thoughts on Asia Blackwell announcing her return? Uh, I mean, I think it's expected. I think it's a great – it's great to know that you're going to have uh, a vocal point that you can build around next year. And I'm interested to see what she can do because you know there's going to be a lot of um, excitement for her and probably Dre as well. I know Dre hasn't announced. I expect Dre to – make the same announcement pretty soon. But uh, you know that the chemistry, um, having to sit there and watch everything unfold is going to motivate them. Uh, I'm excited to see what this group can do. You're going to bring back pretty much everybody except Jamie Asbury and Caitlin Bickle. Um, if you can get more, like Grayson, I think you brought it up last week when we were talking, if you can get more shots and uh, you know scoring from the perimeter, this team can be very dangerous next year. Uh, and then also you need to consider that TCU is going to have a new head coach, and West Virginia is going to have a new head coach. So it's going to be it's going to be fun. Uh, but right now, I think that if they can get people like Jaden Owens to score as well, um, they can be in a position with Asia to make a run to the Big Twelve championship next year. Yeah, and I think it's really fascinating because the Big Twelve just wasn't that great this year, even though Baylor was down. So it's ripe for the taking. It, it absolutely is. I, I think there's a chance if Baylor gets everyone back, gets Dre back, add one more piece, I wouldn't be shocked if they're the preseason favorite at all. That would not stun yep. me. I, I think I'm not going to say they should be, but it, it wouldn't shock me at all. I just want to reiterate Asia Blackwell in her time at Missouri last year, her last year there as a junior, she averaged 15 points and 13 rebounds in 31 minutes. She was an all SEC second team player and she finished with the highest single season rebounding average in program history. She can really play and she's that high motor, high energy type player who can just wear on a team. She's very, very good and someone who they 
they dearly missed this year. Yeah, so that was uh, made official. She released a social media post in the official graphic talking about her return. So, yeah, that's big news, uh, albeit perhaps expected. Uh, but you always want to see it officially put out there, and now it is. So that's big for Nikki Collin and company. She had a response about, you know, unfinished business. And so uh, they're in business as far as building next year's team and, you know, get everything else signed, sealed, delivered as far as who's coming back and then go hit that transfer portal and round this thing out and, you know, uh, get back to work. And I uh, saw it with Iowa State with Lexi Donarski um, announcing her transfer. And, yep. and I see, like, Asia Blackwell had, like, a comment or something on her post about that. I don't know. It was, like, kind of cryptic and um, – I don't know if there's anything there uh, to, to look into, but the transfer portal is what it is, so I know that they'll probably be on the hunt, and so that would be very, very interesting. I mean, I think we see that in other sports, right? Like, you see the recruiting, you see sure. somebody. I mean, hey, if you've if you've played them and you know what they can bring night in and night out, why not just come on, come join the team? Yeah, especially someone like that who's Absolutely. obviously a very good player and it would be a great addition. It happened on the men's side with Jalen yep. Bridges and Kevin McCuller sure both transferring within conference and both being, you know, <laughs> some of the best players on two of the best teams in the league. Yep. Yep. So uh, that is something to definitely pay attention to, uh, just the, the whole transfer portal get up. But uh, the other note to get to, and then we'll get into the mailbag and close it on out, but uh, Jacoby Walter on the Baylor men's side of thing. Uh, we've got the McDonald's All-American game coming up for uh, Jacoby Walter. Yeah, tonight, actually. Uh, he was also named the 2022-2023 Max Preps Missouri High School Basketball Player of the Year. Uh, Link Academy, which is the school he transferred to, uh, went 24-1. and um, They were number two in the national rankings as uh, his senior year. He averaged 14 points, four rebounds, two assists. I remember he was at McKinney the year before, uh, led them to their first state championship game appearance in 94 years. So he's a special player, uh, a guy who's uh, got the length and the size to be an immediate contributor at Baylor. Um, And we're going to get to see him, you know, go up against some of the best in the country. And he's gotten a lot of hype this week. A lot of people talking about uh, his length, his ability to guard multiple positions, his shooting, uh, everything like that has been talked about this week. And now he's going to get to go up against, you know, what, some 24 best players in the entire country at the McDonald's All-American game. I'm very excited to see how he does. It should be a lot of fun, and it's going to give him uh, a great test. Um, So I'm excited to see what he does. He's currently basically a consensus top 20 prospect in the entire nation. Uh, His highest ranking is from 247 Composite, which has him the number 14 prospect in the country. All right, so be on the lookout for that McDonald's All-American game on Tuesday night as uh, we record this earlier in the day. So, yeah, a lot of activity expected, even though basketball season has ended. A lot to uh, watch and pay attention to, including, uh, yeah, the future Bear and Jacoby Walter. One more thing. Scotty B. mentioned it, so we probably need to mention it really quick. Jordan Turner did enter the transfer portal as well. So just a quick little basketball nugget there. Again, not surprising, was pretty much expected. He really hasn't gotten an opportunity to play much during his time at Baylor. So, again, not surprising, but does open up a roster spot for Baylor to use going forward. Yeah, it does, and that leads us into uh, Scotty B. on the – mailbag side of things as uh, we wind this down in our final segment here how many available scholarships does Baylor football have after the names left off of the spring roster like Tay McWilliams and Jalen Ellis for example when did Jalen Ellis's name disappear was it not on there from the very beginning yeah so 
I think there was a mix-up. This is getting up. very confusing, yeah. dude. There was a mix-up when it was released. So when it first was released, the roster on the website, yeah. it had Elijah Ellis off the roster okay. and Jalen Ellis still on the roster. Okay. Then about an hour later, it had Jalen Ellis off the roster, Elijah Ellis back on huh. the roster. Okay. So he is off the roster. Okay, uh, he's not announced anything, though, right? Nothing announced. Yeah, because I have – I've literally had – a write-up for an article, Jalen Ellis transfers yeah. in my uh, drafts for like three months now, just figuring that it was probably going to happen at some point. I don't know if he's going to transfer, though. Yeah. Okay, he so might just be He might done. just be done with football. Right. Okay, yeah. Uh, like, so. I'm just Because like, he was on the roster last week, and I'm like, okay, that's why I haven't put anything out there. Because somebody else had said that he was transferring, like a random tweet or something, mm-hmm. and I'm like, no, he hasn't said anything. Nothing official. Um, and then he shows up on the roster, and I'm like, well, shoot, there he is. He's still yeah. there. And then, yeah, today I just learned he that was a mix-up, apparently. Yeah, it was, it was okay. weird. So that well, was weird. No Jalen Ellison. Okay. Tay McWilliams. Not, but none of these guys announced anything. Tay McWilliams, right. Javon Gibson, Bryce Simpson, Cisco Caston, no, nothing huh. announced. It's just on the roster. Um, so, yeah, uh, uh, how many scholarships with uh, McWilliams, Ellis, and others not on the roster? So I believe they have six roster spots, but – I want to make this very clear. All of those roster spots are not going to be necessarily utilized on new prospects. And that might be kind of cryptic, my way of saying that. But I guess what I'm saying is is I don't think all those spots are officially official um, when it comes to going forward and utilizing those spots. But right now, I have them at 79. So six spots, I guess, is is a simple way of putting it. What do you mean they're going to use them on guys already on the roster? Potentially walk on, maybe. Okay. Potentially guys come back. Um, gotcha. Potentially right. transfers. Potentially twenty twenty four spots. There's just a lot of uncertainty still. I think with the roster makeup, um, we'll find out a lot more as things go forward through the spring. Uh, May first is when that transfer portal window opens. Um, so keep an eye on that. That's when Baylor can officially start, I guess, offering guys, and that's when people will officially start entering the portal. Uh, so you may see more roster attrition from Baylor. You may see them go add guys. Um, but still a lot of uncertainty there. I don't really feel comfortable saying, hey, it's it's exactly six spots. They're going to add six more guys because uh, I don't necessarily think it's going to work quite like that. All right, let's roll through these. Uh, which Baylor football road games harder, in your opinion? This also from Scotty. Uh, Cincinnati or UCF? I think UCF because UCF has more stability, both in terms of roster and head coach. It'll be interesting to see how they do against uh, a higher level of competition in the Big 12 and the American isn't as strong. I think there's a few things that go into this. I think UCF's going to be the better football team next year compared to Cincy, so that's one thing. Uh, the second thing is that's Baylor's first road game of the year against Central Florida. Um, Because they start with four home games, then they go to UCF. I think that makes it tricky as well because you're finally leaving home and having to go play your first game on the road. So I think for those two reasons, I would say UCF. Um, But I think with with where Baylor is at as a program, where they've been at as a program, recruiting at the American level, I think Baylor should beat both of them. But... You just never know. UCF does have a returning quarterback, um, John Rice Plumley, who's very, very explosive and very good. And so I'll, I'll go with that one. Uh, yeah, I say UCF for right now. I mean, they're in better shape uh, heading into next year. And Fickle's gone, which is important. Yes, that's Cincy. very notable that he's not there anymore. So yeah, we'll see uh, how Satterfield does. But uh, yeah, Fickle leaving for Wisconsin definitely changes expectations, at least in the 
very near future for Cincinnati, but UCF just kind of chugs on along. Uh, and Plumley's dangerous, um, you know, yeah. especially as a runner. He can really hurt you. Ryan Allen Long, based on Jeff Grimes' system, who's the best fit at running back on the roster, not who will necessarily win the job this year, but whose attributes are destined for the most success? Bryce in Washington. Really easy answer for me. He's everything they want at the running back position, in my opinion. Um, but that, again, not necessarily win the job this year because I, I don't think he's going to be a starter over Richard Reese, um, at least not to start the year. Uh, yeah, uh, that sounds good to me, Bryson Washington. I heard a lot of positives about him. And, uh, yeah, I just got to wait kind of the, the turn, though, because, as we mentioned earlier, there's a pretty stout little running back room that's being built so far, and it was very fragile last year, but uh, they're in much better shape, it appears, right now, uh, thanks to the Richardson edition in particular. Mm-hmm. Uh, Ian who was the most surprising standout? Thank you, Ryan. Uh, who was the most surprising standout at Baylor's Pro Day yesterday? Yeah, I'm going to go with one that actually impacted his potential getting drafted, and that's Ben Sims. Um, because for him to run a sub 4-6, uh, I don't think was expected, to be honest with you. I, I think he showed some unique burst um, that you know maybe people didn't give him credit for during his time at Baylor, that speed. So I think he was probably the most surprising standout. I know a lot of people say, man, look at what Christian Morgan did. Uh, just understand that Christian Morgan had the number one spark score in the entire country when he was coming out of high school. Like, Everyone knew he was an amazing athlete. The problem is, is at times the athleticism did not show up on the field. And that is obviously a very different conversation. Gavin Holmes running a 4-3-6 is great. You wonder, hey, if he never got hurt, if he never had that knee inj- those knee injuries, what could he have been? Because he was great initially when he played games early in his career. Um, and then we saw him last year. As he got healthier, he played really well. Uh, and that was even with the toll that those injuries took on him. So, yeah, he was very uh, interesting as well. Yeah, I was surprised by Gavin running as fast as he did. I mean, I know he's fast, but still, the break 4-4 four four is, is yeah. pretty sick. Um, so, yeah, that was still surprising, especially given that he's dealt with so many knee injuries to still be that quick. Um, was really impressive. Um, but, yeah, I mean, Christian Morgan being a superb athlete and working out well, is that's kind of his mo that's that's what he does uh that's that's not so much of a surprise but yeah i think i was so surprised by gavin running that fast uh just because even if you were a four sub four four guy at one point in time a couple torn acls later you just don't expect that that's still from a guy so i think that was good for him but i'm with you i think ben sims it's kind of goes in the next question as well it's probably the the next person you're looking at in line of who might get an nfl opportunity Mm -hmm. but let's kind of get into that question um but first, Sammy Grace Bear. Last year, my perception of why our team did not do as well as the year previous was its youth and lack of experience. I look at the roster and I still get that sense. How or why do you think this year will be different? Or do you think 23 will be a similar outcome to 22? Yeah, I, I mean, I understand the concern with youth. I think that the transfer portal alleviates a lot of those concerns, though. They went out and added a lot of guys who have experience and who are older to fill in um, positions that they really need more experience at. So, I'm not as worried about it this year as maybe I should have been the year before. Um, The crazy part is in 2022, I mean, their offensive line was all back. Their defense line was all back. I mean, they, they had a lot of returning pieces. It just, it, the positions where they didn't 
were just so glaringly, obviously not good. You know what I mean? Yeah, just, secondary and just because you're old doesn't mean you're wise, and even if you are wise, doesn't mean you're a great leader. And yeah. they clearly had some old guys who weren't that wise, or they had some old wise guys who weren't great leaders. And there was uh, just regression. Yeah, I mean, yeah just and they, guys who well, they got fat and happy, man. I mean, yeah. it's very clear that's what happened. And the thing is, is you can hammer it home as much as you want to, but people are still human. And I swear, it was mentioned a million times of like. They're not the same team. Like, you're going to have to go out and actually earn this. And they clearly tried it out there. And some some people's heads is, you know, hey, we won the title last year, and we're just going to show up and win it again this year. And that clearly did not go the way they thought it would. Yeah, I still think there's – It was the uh, most – I mean, you could see that coming a mile away, but still right. it slammed him right in the head, you know, it, unexpectedly, but totally expected. Yeah, and I think – I also think that there is one thing to mention here. Like, I think if Khalil Keith wasn't hurt, I think that maybe swings the BYU game early in the year. I think if Blake Shapin doesn't get hurt, that probably swings the West Virginia game. I, I just, and then the Oklahoma State game, they caught Oklahoma State when they were playing at a top 10 level. Right. Instead of the end of the year when they were just an absolute train wreck. And so if you get, if you flip a couple of those things, Baylor might have been a 9 1 team last year. It's just crazy. It's, it's the Big 12. It's those little things. It's that fine line between being TCU 12-0 and 0 and being, you know, not. When you catch teams, everything, the injuries, everything like that, like they could have easily been a 9 or 10 win team. I mean, the field goal by TCU. if Blake Yeah, but Shane, they weren't a 9 or 10 win team, though. I mean, I understand they could have gotten I, there, but they weren't a 9 or 10 good team. I mean, was I don't think TCU was a 13 win team. No, like, um, but I mean, they went on. I, I get what you're saying. I mean, we can d- diagnose yeah, last year, but they they didn't earn it. They they completely got uh, destroyed in the final month of the season. I mean, the the last month of the season was horrendous. So they had I mean, gone, gone in there with nine wins, but I, the TCU I don't know. game. They, they, I mean, they were. I mean, they were inches away. I just think there's some things that I think people need to also go back and realize, like this team. Yes, the record wasn't good. Yes, they couldn't close out games, but there were signs of this team. Like, hey, they were a few plays away from being really good. And maybe as you get more home field advantage this year, those little things flip the other way. Um, but yeah, I, I think this team will be somewhere in between 2022 and 2021. I, I'm not saying they're going to win the Big 12, and I'm also not saying they're going to go six and seven. Mikey, first, thanks as always with the great coverage. Have any Baylor draft projections changed since the NFL Combine and yesterday's Pro Day? I mean, no, I don't think you're going to have an immediate changing up of like a mock draft uh, based on anything we saw yesterday. Ika will be the first pick probably um, somewhere day two. I don't know where in that range, but somewhere around two or three. Connor Galvin will be somewhere day two or day three. Uh, in the middle rounds to late, and then maybe a Ben Sims or somebody like that gets drafted late in the process, uh, Khalil Keith or something later rounds. But um, I, I don't think anything – like I don't think Christian Morgan's getting drafted now because he worked out well, for example. Or Mark Milton. Or Mark Milton yeah. or Gavin Holmes because he ran fast. I, I, I don't know that that really boosted their stock too much. So, yeah, maybe a Ben Sims goes from an undrafted to a pick instead, but um, nothing, you know um, – Nothing nothing huge coming out of that. Yeah, I think there'll be some guys that sign undrafted free agent contracts and go and look and get a shot right in camp and see if they can make a roster. Um, but, yeah, I think I'm in general with you. I, I think Apu 
wide range, like because only certain teams fit him. So could go at the end of round one, could go all the way in the third round or something like that. Uh, Connor Galvin, I, I feel good about him getting drafted. I think Ben Sims has a chance. I also think Dylan Doyle probably has a chance, even though the injury is obviously not great. Yeah, injury doesn't help uh, matters, and uh, we'll see just sort of where that, that places him. I don't know how NFL-wise he's he's viewed really. So, yeah, having the injury on top of that, uh, but as a student of the game and as a leader, I mean, he's he's one of the best out there. But uh, we will see on that. So, yeah, we'll we'll have uh, just a little while left uh, to wait now following Pro Day uh, before we start to see how this does shake out for these guys involved. But, uh, yeah, not too much uh, earth-shaking movement from, from yesterday. Mikey did say, I was pleasantly surprised to hear all 32 teams showed up with our low drafting expectations, especially having to go to a high school facility, mm-hmm. though I heard it's very nice. And yeah, Midway does have a very nice facility. And um, yeah, that's that's kind of surprising to me too. But I think it's just sort of anybody could use a Siaki Ika or anybody could use a, a tackle like a Connor Galvin or you know an offensive lineman. And then there's just a dabbling of you know an array of other guys that fit various potential holes so yeah it's a little bit surprising that all 32 showed up given there wasn't a big headliner so to speak but that's good especially when like you mentioned it was at you know um a different facility from normal so i think that speaks well to the program mikey and thank Mm -hmm. you for closing us out here uh grayson anything as we uh, start to wind this down no, I mean, just uh, be sure to check in on Sikkim 365 Premium site, all kinds of recruiting notes, coverage on spring football. I'm actually going to have notes up hopefully within the next hour on what I saw from practice today. And then be sure to check out 365 Sports from 3 to 6, Monday through Friday. Great college football coverage there with uh, Smokey and Craig. Thank you very much, and Paul as well. And uh, thanks to Garrett Ross, and thanks to you and all the members of Sikkim365.com and those who listen to us here on Tuesdays at around noon on YouTube or just whenever you do get around to uh, listening to us. A lot going on, a lot of fun stuff as uh, spring means change, and spring's actually starting to wind down for some of these other sports. So football in full swing, it's good to have that back. And uh, thanks for being around and uh, listening and, and being a part of what we do here. So check out Sikkim365.com uh, whenever you get the chance to keep up to date on the Baylor Bears uh, athletics programs, football, basketball, and all things in between. Until next time, for Grayson Grunhafer, for Garrett Ross, I'm Craig Smoke. This has been the Bearcast on Sikkim365.com and 365 Sports. <laughs>